Hello and welcome to Reptory Screenings episode 98. I'm your host, M. With me is my regular co-host, Jackson. What up? And Destiny. Hey. Uh, podcasts, movies. Movies. Destiny, movies, I don't movies. think you've seen a movie, so I'm going to come to you I first. I have not. Yeah. Damn. Even Jackson's seen a movie. I did watch a movie. I watched one movie. I'm well done me. busier than Jackson. <laughs> rude? That's rude. <laughs> it's true. You're busier uh, than all of us. I don't know about that. Disney's just doing a alarming number of things at all times these days. That's true. That's true. It's true. It's true. Uh, Can't be helped. I'll try to watch more movies next time. Jackson, you're up. Yeah, I finally, as requested, watched Pegasus. Yes. Uh, the 2019 Chinese movie about a uh, race uh, rally racer who returns after a suspension. Um, for for illegal activities. <laughs> for being too sick in a car park. Yeah, unfortunately, it's illegal to be good at things. Um, it's fucking incredible. Fucking actual <laughs> masterpiece movie. Uh, you're like, you've got to watch this. And you're right. You're right. You're like, oh, damn. Jackson needs to see this immediately. And <laughs> so, So the moment I... Stop, pause the movie and was like hang on hang on so okay. it, it's midway through right it, it i it is not at the end of the film i won't tell you where it is okay so it's not the very because i'm like the very end is clearly very my ship i assume you got there earlier i got there mm, which bit which bit is it that's i need to make um <laughs> is it the bit where they show up and start doing the anime poses at each other with the song plays no no okay um is it the bit where the, the the guy and his manager are like standing on the stairs singing about their like lost uh no. youth no but that is a really uh, good one uh, there's just so many good bits i genuinely don't know what the like bit that like, like nailed it was it was specifically the first driving test <laughs> When they're sitting there next to the most bored man on earth, acting like the fucking king has returned to his throne. I was like, oh, this has got it. Jackson has to see this. I was losing my mind laughing. This movie is hilarious. Um, it's just incredible. And I'm like, I want to complain about the letterbox reviews because I'm going to turn, find a way to turn loving something into being a hater. Uh, because... Movie has like 3.1 average, a lot of three stars, a lot of like, oh yeah, it's, it's pretty good, it has a cool ending, and, and it's funny, but like, no one is willing to open their heart to say a movie that is like funny and fun for the whole family and is just like shiny and good can be five stars. It can be. It doesn't have to be a fucking Easy. actual, like, super deep, intricate masterpiece to be a five star movie. This is a five star movie it, in my heart. He loves a song, he wants to race. You know, that's exactly that's all you need. Uh, you should what you would you would have a good time, probably not as much as me and M. It's, it's really on me and M shit, but um, you'd still have a good time. This is a, this is a crowd pleaser. Okay. Um, when the fucking rich Lewis Hamilton motherfucker shows up and he's just the villain from the Need for Speed book we read ten years ago, <laughs> where he's just a nice guy and our protagonist is like this is the most evil motherfucker in the world. He's like, hey, well, you want me to help you out? I know it's really hard to get sponsors. I could give you some equipment. I want someone to race with. He's like, oh, I hate this man. He's so bad. There's literally a fucking like uh, hot fuzz gag where he's introduced standing next to his own portraits yes. <laughs> in the back of the room, and the guy's like, "Do do rich people not have a change of clothes?" <laughs> uh, yeah, just hilarious movie. Like very funny, confidently scene to scene, uh, delightful. The racing's fun. Uh, has an incredible ending. Um, just throughout. I don't, I don't want to like ruin it, but it's just good. It, it tickled me. Yeah. Uh, it's just a nice, fun movie. I had a great time. <laughs> this is what it means to go. If this is what they're getting in like the cinema in fucking China, then we're cooked. 
<laughs> like, I understand American movies still got some shit left, right? There's still there's still good ass movies coming out. I believe Oppenheimer's great. I haven't seen it, right? But like, there are popular movies that people like coming out. But if this is just like this is you go for your family entertainment and you see fucking Pegasus, damn, yeah. we're cooked as hell. Yeah, the director's like an internet guy. The director's not just. An, I looked at the director. and was like, Jesus Christ, yeah, this guy's got yeah. like an anime life. Yes, <laughs> he's like only forty-one, but this like his being a director is his fourth superstar career. He's like, oh, I became a like world famous essayist, wrote like seven of the biggest novels in the world, beefed with literally everyone in the Chinese literary sphere, became a rally driver, yeah, um, and has now directed four movies. Yeah, he's wow. he's a real like les enfants <laughs> But his movie, if his, the rest of his movies are because this one, then go go with God, I guess. <laughs> Uh, I guess the lesson is if you get to do literally every, if you get the opportunity to do literally everything from a very early age, you become very good at it. Uh, I guess it could happen to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Most people flop, uh, fail upward, but sometimes someone just has it. And you're like, man, that's illegal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I love Pegasus. I'm glad you liked it too. Because I was, I was watching this like, this is such a Jackson. This is before all the f- shit you named and the ridiculous ending, which is perfect. Uh, I was just like, oh, th- them going like, him turning on this car is going to be like the world has changed to the most like bored man filling out a form. <laughs> the, the constant back and forth where he's like, oh, I, I, I lost my license for drunk driving. He's like, drunk drivers? I hate drunk drivers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I lost my I lost my license for speeding, actually. I, I hate speeders. My 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 uh, friend was caused, killed by an idiot speeding drunk driver. <laughs> <six years ago. laughs> yeah, that was uh, when I was like, oh, Jackson has to see this. This is the cinema to us. Yeah, uh, absolutely delightful movie. I won't say uh, much more, um, but you're 100% correct. Just, you know, it's 98 minutes. Well, it's, 90, it's eight minutes of credit, so it's a 90-minute movie. Uh, delightful the whole way through. Loved it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's all you need. That's what the cinema is, baby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I've got three films. I watched Killer Nun, the 1979 Italian uh, nunsploitation film. Um, also known as Sister Murders is the literal translation of the Italian, which is, which is perfect, um, which is about a uh, nun played by Anita Ekberg. She's the lady from uh, Belle du Jour. Um, and, That's Catherine Deneuve. Oh, sorry. La Dolce Vita. I got my things mixed up. I didn't click through. Um, La Dolce Vita. And um, she's a nun who like had like a had like brain cancer and had brain surgery on it um and the doctors are like she works in a hospital it's like in the modern day um and the doctor's like you're fine you're cured and she doesn't believe them she's like oh my cancer is gonna come back um she's also got a real heroin addiction going um and she works in a hospital with a lot of heroin because it's like specifically a hospital for the elderly so everyone's like sick and dying um and she projects her like mortal terror onto the residents and is on this weird drug vendor that's being covered up by like her her like cell is not the right word i don't know what what, what do nuns live in her cellmate Oysters? yeah her like yeah but they're just in like a hospital room because they live in a hospital like a catholic hospital um but her roommate who's also a nun who's like a younger nun who's they're clearly like have a not on screen lesbian affair going right you mean um, convent is that the word you yeah but for? it's not a convent because they they work at a hospital they, they live at the hospital okay. i still think it's a cloister okay. but <laughs> go hey anyone got any <laughs> christian collective nouns um anyway um and so she starts covering for her while she like, continues like she goes out into the the she's like robs the old people of their jewelry to go in town dressed up like in a black trench coat and sunglasses to sell the jewelry for money for her drug habit um as the hospital gets like 
concerned about it and then people start turning up dead but she doesn't know if she did it or not because she's on a drug bender she doesn't remember what's happening um as she's convinced she's dying and taking out it out on everybody else i think it's like really good it's like really it's not a good this is a bad film um in the classical sense but it is what you want out of exploitation where it's just kind of cooking with the themes of like like the sequel to cleo from five to seven mortal terror strikes again and it's turned into murder you know just the like literally like the extrapolation of this sort of like angst about i'm i'm dying as you expel it out into the world is like the worst thing um was really good and crunchy it has a ludicrous ending um and i liked it a lot uh normally i think these exploitation films are like all smoke no fire but i think this one's got the sauce um nice i was quite pleased um that sounds amazing yeah uh also because it's an exploitation film it's 88 minutes long <laughs> that's oh, what yeah. we like to see yeah um then i watched pig the 2021 film um written directed by michael sarnowski starring nicholas cage as a guy who lives in the pacific northwest uh as like a mountain man who has a truffle pig and he, he gathers truffles he doesn't talk to anybody and this fucking young guy in like a fucking lamborghini or whatever shows up every two weeks to buy his truffles which he sells to the high dining market in portland um and uh, someone, some night, comes in and steals his pig. And Nicolas Cage is like, I love that pig. I need to find that pig. And goes on a fucking John Wick quest to find the pig. But um, he's not a murder man. He just is like, he's like a famous chef who left Portland like 15 years ago. Um, and everyone, and but like the legend is like it's John Wick. They're like, oh, it's him. Like every when when his name is spoken, like people's heads turn and the room grows silent. Um, and it just has that like air of magical realism, but about like chefs <laughs> um, as he goes and tries to find his pig uh, through Portland. Um, I really like this movie. Um, I think I think the comparisons to John Wick are like intentional. Uh, I think it's it's meant to be kind of a, a, like, you know, a revenge story in which he is not getting revenge. He is much more of a like warrior monk but his his battlefield is the kitchen right he comes in he, he's like ghost dog or he has a lot of like i've lived alone and i've gone through a lot of philosophy that he doesn't really like expound on much because he has very few lines nicholas cage mostly just emoting to camera um and it just ends up being a, like a weird surprising movie about like being sad and losing your loved ones it's really good i was really surprised by it that's cool shout yeah. out to pig shout out to yeah. pig um pig not in it very much because the pig gets stolen so if you're in it for the pig uh not much pig <laughs> nicholas cage is in it for the pig <laughs> nicholas cage is in it for the pig um and then um yesterday i watched the last angel of history which is a 1996 documentary by uh john akamfra about um it's about so Criterion has because it's February has their Black History Month normal set of movies, but they also have this one that's curated by Dweller that's about like electronic music and black culture and like the intersection of those two things, which all they all everything in there sounds really exciting. And this was the first thing on there, um, but this is a documentary specifically about um, Afrofuturism, and it's part documentary, part fiction. And like the narrative device is there's this this guy from the future with like these ridiculous like uh future shades who is traveling through time. He's called the time thief, and he's going around to various <laughs> aspects of modern history learning about where like African music intersects with the future and technology as they interview 
uh, you know, a bunch of people of the day, um, like Sammy Delaney and Octavia Butler and Michelle Nichols in it, a bunch of different musicians as they talk about making music. There's a bit on Sun Ra, but Sun Ra is not in it. It's mostly about like the things that came after Sun Ra is, is like when sampling became big in music. It, it's just like really good. And the aesthetic is all like super intercut, like weird digital effects happening over each other. Um, if you watch me and Dia play Club De uh, Dead, uh, which we're playing MTV's Club Dead, it has that kind of like digital effects baked into ridiculous 90s scenes uh, aesthetic. It's really good. I had a great time. Yeah, uh, it, it sounds wild. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I like. Because, uh, you know, I've watched the Sun Ra documentary and uh, I know some of that stuff. Like, it wasn't, like, full of new information, but it was nice to watch a documentary about, like, th this is the future of where technology and, and race can take us in a very positive light. And I was like, man, people in the 90s just had hope. That wasn't how it ended up going. <laughs> it wasn't how it ended up going. Right, it was, at all. It was yeah. just like, damn, I, uh, I wish that were anybody I know. None of us have hope. Um. One thing that was really funny about Pegasus to me, and this is not intentionally funny in the movie, but it's like, this is just a thing when I watch like uh, a glossy, just like Chinese mass entertainment, it's that all the concerns are the same as American mass entertainment. Oh, the, the developers and the, the poverty and the blah, blah, blah. But the like, just general state of the world is like 15 times nicer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. Man, I remember having hope. <laughs> yeah. His whole thing is he wants to do something better than like run his small business, which is like not doing well. Like it's not like booming, but he's doing okay. He's taking care of him and his kid. That's all he wanted for a while. For the yeah. record, I have hope. Well, I don't I'm know glad why. One of us does. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't be me out here hopeless. Um. Anyway, that's it. Uh. So our movie this week is Close Up, uh, the 1990 uh, Abbas Karastami film. Uh, part documentary, part fiction. Yes. Complicated. Um, <laughs> Jackson, would you like to tell us what this is about? Uh, Close Up is about, um, what's his name? Uh, Hussein, Hussein Sabzian. Sabzian. A man who pretends for about four days to be uh, filmmaker uh, Mohsen uh, Makhmabaf. Uh, famous uh, Iranian filmmaker at the time um, and just kind of pretends to be him around this very gullible, stupid-ass rich family, uh, takes, like, a little bit more money than would be required for a cab one day uh, and is arrested for it um, because uh, this counts as fraud. Uh, this catches the attention of uh, Abbas Kiarostami, who is... Uh, no, it catches the attention of a journalist. This Sorry, is it catches the, catches the attention of a journalist who writes an article on this, which catches the attention of Ab Abbas Kiarostami, who flies in, uh, like, drops the movie he's currently working on, goes back to the big city, f uh, fucking films the trial, and then recreates the events um, that led up to the trial, uh, like, outside to uh, insert into the narrative as it tells the story uh, of why he did this and you see the trial you like see these reenactments you like uh, a lot of questions are posed it's not really like a narrative film obviously from the setup um but the big ending is uh the uh, Mark himself uh meets um 
Sabzian uh, at the end of the film, uh, and they like ride together. Specifically, uh, it is set up by Kiarostami as he's filming from like a van. Yes, like like the FBI that Malkmabov is going to meet Sabzian have like a really emotional meeting for Sabzian. He's like mic'd, and the mic keeps cutting out because they're using shitty like hidden mics, um, and takes him to meet with the family. <laughs> yeah, um, it's it's a weird scene. It's like. It's a whiz. It's layered. There's a lot of things going on there. It might be one of the most evil things ever done. Who can say? Um, uh, as it's like, oh, because we're making a movie about it, we've flown in your hero. Yeah. Um, which would not have happened had this case just like come and gone and been ignored. Uh, and he did a brief time in prison for this like most minor fraud of all time. Um, but it's mostly about uh, Sabzian and his like deeply earnest passion for cinema and how earnest that is how much that's just like a performance he's putting on for the screen which is also knows it's a performance lots of layers of like very good film to show in class and that people ask questions and answer about right uh, we'll get you thinking about the formal realities of what it means to watch a movie yeah that's fair i saw this last year year before i don't know i just watched i was like on criterion it was like one of those movies that people always talk about and i was like click play it's kind of short um and it was one of those were like halfway in, and i was like i don't know this is kind of dull and then by the end i was like that was one of the greatest movies i've ever seen <laughs> just truly one of the greatest movies i've ever seen um uh, yes specifically like once you like realize what is ha like the, the the part where like the trial is filmed and then all the reenactments happen after with everyone who was involved uh and then the the final scenes are all like as they happen the first time but very staged for the film but also the films barely can hold on to those scenes uh it was just like uh i get everyone like this right before we move before i talk about it i right? loved it yeah yeah it's fucking it's a masterpiece yeah. like yeah, um as the thing for me is like um, the inciting incident of him pretending to be his director, getting hit with a fraud charge, maybe going to jail if the family didn't uh, pardon him. Um, cause the, the, like the Iranian court is like a very like, you know, small, t small village dispute court. It's not like, it's not like a police system where you do a crime. You must go to jail. It's like, well, if the family doesn't want to press charges, if they're willing to forgive him. Then he, he goes free. And that's good. Like, you know, um, a very chill, the court's room scenes, uh, judge seems like he really doesn't want to put anybody in jail if he doesn't have to um which could not be uh, my experience with the judicial system in the world um but um it just seems like it's a small human interest story except for the fact this guy wrote this article and abbas karastami saw this weird like little like piece of the newspaper and goes wait a second this is about my thing <laughs> Uh, just like the weird nugget of, oh, a, a guy pretending to be an Iranian director, like a, had a weird justification of he, he likes cinema too much. I have to know what this is um, and going and filming it. Um, it's weird because it gives the movie is like about the way in which m movies are both simultaneously a lie in that they are productions and the truth and they speak something just something indelible in the human experience that every like people normal people can go watch a movie and feel moved by something that reflects their own lives back at them um but those two things are impossible to detangle fundamentally the nature of making a movie is making a lie <laughs> yeah um and in dragging sabzion into a production of a film only like d disentangles this man from reality worse than he had done. Right. He is like, oh, I did something wrong, but now he becomes like this weird hero of a narrative about like the human spirit and the love of art, which is 
not really about Sabzion, but about self-aggrandizing the act of movie making. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, like flying in uh, Mammalbath, like for the ending, is like this is a crazy moment because it's just the 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 lie of it is too much, right? He would not be there if it wasn't for the fact that we were filming this movie. He doesn't care oh, about his, this his fucking fellow guy. director friend Karastami was like, "Would yeah, you right, please come right. meet this man?" <laughs> yes. right, yeah, like the most artificial thing of all time. And like Sabzian's not a fucking moron. He knows this, right? Yeah. While uh, uh, he's doing it, but he's also like aware that he's in a movie and like is performing as himself of people. Like he is aware of all the things going on, right? No one's like in the dark about the processes that are happening here, uh, even though as those processes like consume the like the movie itself um and it's just it's just wild it's like overwhelming at the end i didn't know what was a recreation because i like i didn't know any of that like you were talking about the plot and you said that like oh, oh yeah. kirisami read the articles da, 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 da. like none of that's in the movie so i didn't know any of that going in yeah. so i couldn't tell what was no no that's stuff like afterwards like i'm watching this a second time right most of my thoughts yeah, are no. thoughts on it is kind this. of in the movie like the the when kirisami is like in meeting him in the prison the first time uh you know he does mention that he like found out about from the journalist and he's like gonna get the trial move forward yeah but like i didn't know if that was a recreation of like i didn't know if that was scripted or not like if it wasn't the only thing that was like real i think is the um trial 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 scene i, I mean yeah. i assume like, the ending is unscripted but yes. and like just like film from a distance yeah, yeah um, but like going into it not knowing any of that it's really hard to tell what's what and it's very like it feels like origami like it it feels like an impossible movie like yeah. in a in a technical sense it's, it's very like mm -hmm. it left me very discombobulated <laughs> but yeah. like in a good way i don't know how to explain it <laughs> it's weird because like it's not like a puzzle right but no. it just asks a fundamental question of like what is what matters about cinema and what is real and like how you feel about that um because like i think karastami whether he knows it or not, we'll talk about it when we talk about like the 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 other movie that we covered, which was um, what's the name of that thing? Long, uh, close shot. Up long shot. Long shot. Yeah. Um, and that Karasami was like troubled by what happened with Sabzion, like how his life went after this film. Um, but I feel like the movie, on some level, just inherently is about the fact that like he knows that movies are kind of a con, but like the con is real. <laughs> like the magic is true, even if it's still fake. Uh, and that, that's the important part of it. Um, oh, like, why would he rush to film this guy in the first place if he didn't on some level understand that? Uh, but then you go, well, did he just like feel like the, like the, the gravity of the situation, but not the full, like, like fallout of what that meant, uh, which is possible. You know, you can ask many questions about intent, especially on Karastami's part, who gets nothing really in this movie other than he talks to, uh, Sabzion a little bit, right? Um, it is not about Karastami as a character. Yeah, it's weird. Like Kirsten is in the movie, right? He has a scene, yeah, uh, and that scene is entirely shot from behind. His face is never on, like on camera, yeah, um, which is a very intentional choice, uh, and one that I've been like rotating my mind is like, what what I think about that when the whole entire movie like hinges on the idea of like the violence that is filmmaking, like in the most abstract sense, right? Like documenting things is enforcing a vision of truth onto an audience, right? Yes. That it may or may not exist, um. And 
he's instrumental. The, the, the trial doesn't change dates. The things in the, don't happen without this famous filmmaker getting involved. Everyone in that trial knows there's a famous filmmaker in the room. Well, uh, literally everyone in the crowd is like staring at the hard camera the entire yeah. time. Like they just can't take their eyes off the fact they're being filmed. So like even the trial is like this trial would have, we can't even know what would have happened in this trial if Kiyosami hadn't intervened. The entire reality has been warped by the intervention of a filmmaker. I like being, um, not like beyond culture, but like, you know, as Sapien said, not one of the fucking normal people working a job, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah like yeah. warps reality around him. And you feel the effect of like, of course I would pretend to be a filmmaker too, to like dupe these rich idiots. It well, like, yeah, the, great. The minute, the minute that they think I'm a director, they listen to what I say. They, they care about what I think and they'll take my, like I've imbued with authority that I've never felt before. And all that requires is for them to think I make movies. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, there's a bit like in the in the so we watched a follow up movie from what was that like the late 90s? 96. Yeah. 96. Um, yeah. That was linked by someone who wrote in. Um, that's just another film. It's not by Karastami, but it's about Sabzian's life after the film came out. Um, and we'll talk about it probably on and off. But there's a bit in there where he goes, once we made the movie, Karastami's direction wasn't any different than what I was telling these people. There's no there's no magic to directing. You just tell people what to do and they do it and then you film it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, so one of the things I thought about Close Up Longshot, which is like required reading, I guess, for this film. I think, I think it's really it's weird because I, I, I thought it like only underscored the things I already believed about the movie, but it was yes. nice to feel right about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like if you are already inclined to like consider the material realities of production, nothing in it is going to be surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the thing about it that like struck me, the thing that like I think Close Up Longshot was like uh, a deeply heartbreaking movie because um, it's not very good. Like I watch it, and I'm like, the filmmaking's not as good. The film, the, 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 <laughs> like, the filmmaking in this movie is like it looks like a news report. There's a bit yes, where he like yes. walks into his house, and they've got one shot for him opening the gate, and one shot for him opening the door, and the shots are all a little too long. And then it cuts to like a nicely composed shot of him sitting on the carpet, and then they've got the Quran and his like how to make movies book right on top of each other. And I'm like, oh, I see this, and it just is. It doesn't have it there, and there you realize that like. I think that the the aim of this movie, the thing that it is like trying to elucidate about the work of Close Up uh, and the depth it provides to it is important. Uh, it's a worse movie. It's it's a worse movie in that like it hurts, right? It hurts to know that it, there is something about what it means to be good at making images, communicating things with images. It has a real power, like a real power, and Longshot doesn't have it as much as I like still found it moving and still like appreciated what it did uh that was the thing that like struck me about those two films watching them nearly back to back do you have anything destiny um about long shot specifically or just to um, about just any of this general. yeah oh um i think that like the thing that struck me the most about this movie was like at first i thought it was like this story about forgiveness and uh that sort of thing and then like you watch long shot and you're like no this guy he was stuck and it makes it so much like more tragic and i don't know the interesting thing is because of long shot existing it has to be that the public consciousness, even in Iran of the movie, was it's a movie about forgiving this guy for this thing and like the transformative power of understanding each other, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I mean, that's what, that's the shot the movie ends on. That's what the Criterion cover of the Blu-ray Blu is, right? It, it's him right. crying, holding the flowers. Um, it's like this moment of catharsis. But I'm like, that's like the fakest thing in the film. Yeah. <laughs> you literally like, you, you literally hit this guy with the double whammy of his hero that he pretended to be and almost went to jail for, shows up and says hi. It's really nice. They do look alike. It's really weird. Uh, <laughs> and mm -hmm. um takes him and you know they buy flowers and they're gonna go see the family who forgave him and they're like oh we were proud we just want you to be proud like make us proud i want you to be uh, like the good son we didn't have um and, and the music's like, playing yeah and he's someone <laughs> yeah, the it's the only, only time he's playing film. and he's like someone who always just wanted people to like care about him he's like divorced and uh, like he has multiple accusations of like fraud uh, against him that don't really come up um and it seems like he's just in a dead-end job that he doesn't give a shit about and you know he loses his mom and his mom's like cares about him but in like a very distant way seemingly um and all of that it's just like yeah of course this man broke down and cried like look what you did you hit him with the this is your life <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it feels like a fucking Mr. Beast bit, right? Like there, there, yes. <laughs> there is just like a reality-breaking artificiality to the catharsis that has been invented for him. Yeah, um, that is like I don't even know what like reaction I would have in that situation. It's too much. It's just physically too much out of my expected bounds of how my day was meant to go. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, it, it's it's the fakest thing in the world. Like I don't I don't really know how to think about it. Um, other than I find it like compelling, right? I'm, I'm yeah. considering it, and the movie is a, right. the movie knows that you know it's fake, right? The movie is uh, like its magic trick is letting you know on all levels what's happening, and then doing them anyway is basically well, even though they have a disastrous sound problem, they don't refilm it, right? You can't, right, yeah. you have to just roll with it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The sound keeps cutting out. It's so bad. Yeah, it's so yeah. bad. It's really funny. There's a yeah. bit. There's a bit where they go and buy flowers because they're gonna go meet with the fa the family and uh, they're gonna bring him flowers. And uh, Sabzian just grabs some flowers. He's like, "Oh, flowers, okay." And Malkovich like, "No, take those back. Yellow's a worse color. Get a different color." <laughs> just like he's directing. <laughs> he's directing the picture right there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like, and it's like so spot. clear where, where his interests lie. And he's doing this fucking make a wish moment, and then he's gonna go back and make movies. He doesn't give a shit about any of this. <laughs> Right. Um, yes. And it's also like this, 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 this um, feeling of guilt throughout this film, right? Uh, even mm -hmm. before long shots. Uh, like the idea in this movie is that the, these films that he makes are about the like human spirit persisting in suffering. And then mm -hmm. the uh, like the plight of the common man, <laughs> fucking um, Barton Fink style over yeah. here. <laughs> uh, and so they like latch onto this because like this is real now the real thing is in front of you and you would be like dishonest to completely ignore it but they can't like truly connect to it because they are disconnected from that world uh and like putting them together in the same scene is like such a weird friction um and then yeah and then then like close up you long shot you're like oh yeah of course it went that way C could only it could never go any other way yeah he gets yeah. like a brief like a brief amount of local fame, but it doesn't change the situation, right? It doesn't like elevate him. He's not actually a director. There's a bit where someone asks, like, oh, would you rather be a director or an actor? He's like, Well, I mean, acting is the thing that I'm doing, right? So I must be it must be actor. Um Yeah. That's during the trial, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. In long shot, there's that scene where they're like talking to like everybody around the town about him. Yes. And they're like, nobody trusts him. He's a con man. Like, that's his rep. His, cause, because of the film, it's like, he's just a guy you don't trust because he's like too stuck in his dreams. And well, it's weird because they, they suggest that maybe that's he's been going around telling more people about 
this because like the film almost like almost really wants to frame it as one time he just had this one thing where a lady sat next to him on a bus and she asked about this book he was reading and it was like his favorite movie and he went oh i wrote this i wrote this movie just as like a lark sometimes you know just like a weird lie and he got wrapped up in it and like it went a little too far but then you get the things in the trial where like there's this woman who wouldn't come forward but like he went around telling her that, that he was a famous director uh and like they had a relationship based on that uh that he was going to put her in a movie like none of that's touched on again it just like exists in the possibility yeah. space of like maybe he is just totally a guy who's full of shit right mm-hmm. like every, when you talk to him when you talk to his, co- his co-workers they're like i mean he was always like he was just his head in the clouds all he did was care about movies he didn't really think about anything <laughs> yeah he distracted everyone like he just talked about movies constantly and if you asked him where he was he'd say he that he was at the movies yeah uh, but but that is untidy for the narrative they build, so they mostly drop it and don't cover it, which is fine. But like when he talks about the cyclist, he's like, yeah, no, like a director can be a normal person. I wanted to be that normal person. Um, but when uh, Makhbabov shows up, it's like that's not a normal. That's not a normal guy. <laughs> no. Um, and it's weird because like the family is very like high and mighty about like oh if he wants to do well and you know he goes this far then we'll believe him and whatever. But like it's it's like. They're well-to-do. They're in a very nice, big, empty house with very nice furniture. Um, But, like, both their sons graduated college. And I think this is probably, like, just where the state of where Iran was in the 90s, maybe. I'm not, like, super informed on, like, the economy. But, like, very relatable. Everyone got college degrees, can't get a fucking job to save their life, right? (laughs) I mean, it's really interesting hearing the sons, because the son, like hates him the most right he's the yes. one who actually believed him he yes. really believed him yes. and and the like thing there is they both both him and uh, Sabzian like have the same problems and are believing the same lie right in yes. from different directions uh, uh-huh. he is richer and higher up in society but he can't get a job he's unsatisfied with his life Every, his expectations about and he sees uh filmmaking as like this fantasy way to escape that right and he think oh he, yeah. he meet this director who's interested in me that could change everything um and obviously, Sabzian has the same like fantasy from the other direction, even though he's you know, he he knows it's fake the whole time, but he's still buying into those ideas from the off of yeah. like be- getting involved into filmmaking changes how people see me. I'm no longer a poor person with no agency in the world, um, and it is like one of the, the like core themes of the film. It doesn't like culminate in the end. It's not like brought up uh, like textually, um, but it's still about that, right? It's deeply about how the thing that is alienating people is the the fact that the economy fucking sucks and there's no purpose in life and you can't get a goddamn job and if you can it's working in a bakery after your college degree right um, well, it's weird because the 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 elder son who's not real who's not in the movie basically at all mm-hmm. um the, he's like oh yeah my other br- uh, my brother graduated and he works at a bakery and his mom's like no he manages a bakery <laughs> which is not the same thing <laughs> but to they him also- to the little oh, son who hates working and wants to be in the arts it, it is the same thing it's like oh that's not a real he just works at a bakery <laughs> i mean yeah because him and something they both just want they want the arts they want the freedom of the arts as their job and they know yeah. there are people who do that uh and idolize them and from yeah. the son's way it was like he believed sabzian too much and sabzian way was like this acting way but the, the thing that they want is the escape of like yeah making films can be your life that can be your life and your job and not the shit that i have to deal with even though one of them's rich and one of them's actually poor yeah. uh the feelings end up being like very similar between the two Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole bit with the dad, like he says a couple times, Oh, I, I suspected from the start. I truly do not believe this man. This man's no, full of shit. He's so full of shit. <laughs> yeah, he's no. Yeah. I was teaching my sons a lesson. Fuck off you was teaching your sons a lesson. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. 
He's so funny. He's so funny in Bumpus. The idea that his family like had this happen to them and then agreed to play themselves in like recreation. This is like the the weirdest, like, especially on a rewatch, the weirdest part of this movie, like seeing it all through. And then they get this like self-aggrandized narrative of them as like this weird aggrieved party that have this stranger come in and pretend to be something. But like the film is not shot in any way that like gives them inherent sympathy. They just kind of feel on airs and like weirdly like opportunistic as much as Sabzian is. Um, it's very strange because like the movie is all about the power of movie making, right? Yeah. And so it has a lot of sympathy for Subzium and absolutely like ends up, I would say, biasing, like, you know, it's aware that there can be many truths, but it biases towards the truth it wants to portray, which is that he, it does, the movie does ultimately believe he is this Falcaro yeah. um, and it's trying to portray that, I would say. Um, and similarly, I think when it portrays the directors, it's like aware that they're doing something like fucked up by making movies, but it also believes in them, right? It believes yes. in the power of movies and believes in the power of directors and wants you to honestly believe in them. What it does not believe in is the power of fucking like rich, but not as rich as they think they are losers trying to mooch off the, the great directors of the arts getting conned by like, fake directors. Uh, it's <laughs> weird how much little sympathy it has for the other side of that, even though without them, the entire story doesn't work. Right? They are they are necessary for the engine of this like catharsis yes. to work, yes. but it has no sympathy for their, for their like, you know, they're just patsies. They're just patsies in this film. Yeah. 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 I mean, Karastami, I think, fundamentally thinks that Sabzian's dream is true and real. He lives it, right? Yes. That's a movie. That's that's what movie making is. Sabzian's not wrong. <laughs> like when Sabzian realizes that, like, oh, what Karastami was doing directing Close Up was no different than what I was doing in this fake movie I was going to make. Um, he's like defeated. He's like, oh, it made me really like sad. I felt nothing about it. Um, but like, no, that's the that's the truth. That's the transformative power of cinema. Is fucking anyone can do it. <laughs> yes. Um, especially like directing. Yeah, which isn't like like depends on the size of the production. Right, there are some yeah, yeah. productions where if you don't have the technical know-how, but like I am fairly sure if you put me into a Marvel movie, right, and I was fucking Twin Peaks, Dougie Jones over here, uh, <laughs> and I just said yes to every department, uh, the movie would still the, the machine would function, right? No, the machine no, no, functions. no, no, no. <laughs> um, obviously, there's many movies that that wouldn't be true. Um, yeah. but there are a lot of movies where like the individual can be removed from the process. Um, and you just don't know, right? You don't know. Yeah. It's just, as with all things, it's just people working in a network. Yeah. Uh, then the bigger the network is, the least important, uh, the less important any yeah. single individual is. Also, especially in 90s cinema, uh, 80s cinema, uh, and the cinema, like internationally, if you're just someone who loves cinema and you pick up a camera and you shoot a film, those films are myriad, right? Like that's, that's 90s indie cinema. That's international yeah. cinema at, at large in a lot of places. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think is really interesting about the um, long shot uh, is that it no longer has that quality, and that quality is it's shot on fucking VCR. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the thing is that, like, when you ha when even the like indies of indie films were shot on like some kind of film, uh, it, it just gave them a different quality. Man, it one was of, different. One different. of the things I like about Close Up because it's a very quiet movie about people sitting in rooms and there's no music is both in the in the trial and in some of the recreations you just hear the camera rolling yes yeah um because they it's like live mic'd you know they didn't like go back and re-record stuff they're not like hey can we get some room tone in um yeah. in this court please yeah and then we're gonna <laughs> you know adr all the lines no it's just they filmed it they just filmed the thing and that's the movie um it's great <laughs> yes yeah um yeah it's weird because like I think this movie is like, especially like on a second watch for me, it was like, movies are fundamentally violence, but like, 
ultimately I, I agree that's kind of what makes them great you just have to understand that you're living with a lie but the lie has power um and that's fine <laughs> what are you gonna do not watch movies fuck that movies are great <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, um, <laughs> there is no good movie. They're all, they're all evil. <laughs> yeah. On some level, like the, yeah, the, the act of the documentation, especially as like a project, that thing, a story that someone gets final cut on that goes out into the world and people get to have opinions about introduces so many biases, right? It, it is, it is, even if no, no harm is done effort, like narratives are changed violence broadly as a conceptual term is done. Um, but damn, I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> but also, like, I mean, you know, movies are the mass media of the moment. Yes. Have been for the last yes. hundred years, right? Uh, yeah. At least. Um, you can say there's been changes in it, but I would say that is broadly true. Yeah. Uh, they are the medium through which most people experience narrative, uh, experience like catharsis and emotion uh, yeah. in media and art in their lives. Yeah. Um, and they require such a specific material context to get made and distributed, right? Yeah. You cannot tell your story unless you have a camera and a film crew and a way to get that film distributed into uh, different audiences. Um, even like, you know, this film was significantly pre-internet, but in the internet era now, anyone can film anything. Um, but that's actually made it harder. It's made it harder for poor people. Like there's less poor people directing than ever, than ever. Uh, it's fucked. Um, and like, that's definitely a running theme of this movie is the idea that like, I want the, I want to, I want to believe that the director lives in the world I do and suffers the problems I do. And the likelihood is he probably fucking doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or if he did, he doesn't anymore because he made a movie that you Because he made about. a movie. Yeah. yeah, I made a movie. Yeah. Uh, movies now more than ever. <laughs> now more than ever. Yeah. Uh, I had a great time. I was like, damn. Uh, I love social realist cinema. Uh, yeah. I don't know if uh, I have that much else, uh, but people have more things. I've got to mention one of the funniest gags of all time, which is the start of the movie. Oh, right. Uh, I did like want to mention this. And I forgot. <laughs> I wonder if we're going to say the same thing. Of course, we're going to say the same thing. There's like a 40 second shot of a can rolling down a hill. Oh, this is not the one I was going to say. Oh, OK. This no. is good. Ten rolling down the hill for like forty seconds. I was like, "What? What could this be saying? What? What is the intention here with this thing?" And they let you sit with this like shot in the silence of waiting for to know what's going on outside. And then the like payoff three minutes later is the journalist is like looking for his tape recorder desperately to like record this story and and publish the uh, the news about the um, trial and sees the can halfway down the hill and kicks it again. And it like shows another twenty seconds of the camera down the hill. I was like, "Oh, for fuck's sake, that's so funny. That's so funny." Ah, oh, it's just man movies my thing <laughs> is um so everyone's playing themselves in the recreations and everyone's doing their best to be very serious or whatever um and but then you have the journalist who wrote the original article that you mentioned um and uh uh Mond, and he has this entire comedy scene that I don't, I hope this was him. I hope that he was like, I want to spend two minutes wringing out what little screen time I have, running from house to house, buzzing the things and asking if they have tape recorders because I think it's like ludicrous it goes on so long. It's really good. It's, it's really, really good. weird, yeah. Well, it like raises the idea, of like it seeds the idea of just the stuff that ends up being like what Longshot's about. It's like, what does 
the, the guy lends him a tape recorder. Without that tape recorder, nothing happens, right? Kirstami doesn't become uh, like super successful international filmmaker in the same way without that tape recorder being handed to that journalist. So it can be recreated, in a, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, whoever, it's, it is completely forgotten who gave him the tape recorder, but that tape recorder is not, get, whoever the tape recorder that was I mean, is not getting like, a kickback. This isn't like Kirstami's first film. He probably would have been all right, but it is one of his yeah, big yeah. ones, as internationally yeah. especially. I wasn't saying that like he wouldn't be okay, yeah. but I mean like, the guy whose tape recorder that is is not seeing a scent from any of the like crazy shit that he just lent a guy a tape recorder right he just yeah. didn't know um <laughs> but it definitely seems the idea of like there are th- th- these things only happen because of the availability of things that are provided by other people right this journalist cannot have this like single person breakout story without borrowing a tape recorder that's important mm-hmm. um and uh, also it's very funny <laughs> yes the shout out to the hero just carrying two turkeys like do you want turkey <laughs> yeah you want turkey i'm gonna sell you turkey right here on film i love the i love the beginning where you think it's like a different type of movie where like the, the he's like oh i gotta go get this guy the police wait in the car and then he just fucking goes in the house and he just hangs out with a cab driver and then the cops are grabbed and they go into the house and you're just like left the cab driver just kind of like i'm just gonna stay get up and walk around and look at the big leaf pile and <laughs> chill out i guess <laughs> Uh, the bit where you don't realize like how low stakes the movie is going to be, but it begins with like these cops getting into the car. Yes, <laughs> is hilarious in retrospect. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. Uh, very glad we watched it. Me too. Uh, okay. Well then. Uh, questions uh if people would like to send questions you can send them to abnormal mapping podcast at gmail.com they can be about anything they don't have to just be about the movies that we're covering um and we got a bunch of email not a, not about we got some emails Kara stop did not bring out the emails like i was hoping but people did all right when i put out the call so thank you everyone who wrote in crystal writes in what's a movie that looks fake in a good way hmm the, the in a good way makes this hard. I don't fucking know. <laughs> There's some. I mean, what does fake um, mean? Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I don't say, know. Like, what do you mean by fake? Because I feel like every movie kind of. I'm like every movie every in Technicolor. Movie, but... Like they're all fake yeah, in a good way. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I can I can say that kind of thing. But Grand um, Budapest Hotel. <laughs> do you mean Gemini Man? Because Gemini Man. <laughs> oh yeah. High frame rate Gemini Man looks fake as hell. Great way. You mean Shin Kamen Rider? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's many ways. Do you I can mean take the umbrellas of Sherborg? Like the right. nature of the thing. Like that. I yes, great, perfect. Do you mean? Do you mean happiness? The Katakuris? Um. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah, a lot of movies. I think all movies look fake in a, other than like realist cinema, which can still be fake in a good way, but doesn't look it on the surface of it. I um, mean, the more realist cinema is, the more fake it is. Yeah. No, I know. But it doesn't, like, look fake, right? That's true. I'm not watching Bicycle Thieves like, man, the artistic expression on display and how this was shot. <laughs> uh, that's true. There are there are occasional moments in close-up where, like, it'll suddenly have, like, a perfectly symmetrical fucking Wes Anderson shot. Yeah. Uh, like, when he's sitting on the sofa. And mm-hmm. it's so jarring to see, like, yes. a com- composition like that. Yes. Um, Eric writes in. Um, with two questions. How do you feel about Kiarostami in general? What are your faves from him? Have you watched Certified Copy? I have watched Certified Copy. That's the only other Kiarostami I've seen. I like this more than Certified Copy, but Certified Copy is a great film. Uh, this is my first Kiarostami. Um, I was like, damn, it's great. I guess I see why everyone likes him. Yeah. Certified Copy is just a normal film. You know, it's about this couple who's walking around and they're they're thinking about maybe breaking up or whatever. <laughs> 
I assume that he mostly just makes movies, like not, yes. not documentaries. Yeah. Because um, like the, the first 50 minutes of this movie are just like a straight up, you know, drama. Yeah. Um, before the trial like reveals the conceits. Uh, uh, and obviously they're all like, playing themselves the whole time, but it it's still like scripted or uh, at the very least outlined and shot with like intentional. They <laughs> were um, just making a, making a movie. Yeah. Destiny. This is my first Kiristami. Probably not my last. Yeah. No, that's fair. Won't hope. Knock on wood. You're alive to watch my Kiristami. <laughs> <laughs> if the Lord lets me live. <laughs> um, what's the best guitar solo in a movie? Not in the score or soundtrack. Has to be played by a character in the film. I, um, no I mean, it's clue. it's from fucking uh, Ongaku, right? Like, it has to be. It's got to be Ongaku. Uh, Ongaku is a good answer. Uh, that was recently on Criterion. It left. But um, if that ever oh, comes back around, you have a chance to watch Ongaku R Sound. It's really good. You just pick up Blu-ray. I'm sure it's not that expensive. Yeah. No, it's not. That Strong movie. recommend on that movie. Great guitar yeah, that movie's solo. fantastic. Um, my answers are uh, Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking obviously. Um, and the uh, Macross 7 movie. Which, oh, yeah, I haven't not seen surprising. It, uh, Macro 7, all about a, a band where the musician believes that his his mu- music has the power to change the world. But he's in the Macross universe, so that's true. So it works out pretty well for him overall. <laughs> I would hate to believe that and be trapped in fucking, I don't know. The Gundam? Or <laughs> where he gets obliterated by <laughs> giant bullets? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's lucky to believe that in Macross, where the only place it is true. <laughs> yeah, those are the two I could think of on top of my head. Um, Velvet Goldmine has a good one oh, that yeah. just recreates a David Bowie scene, but uh, a David Bowie stage action. It's pretty fun. <laughs> um, Antonio's the one who wrote in about uh, a close up long shot. Um, as like it, you know, it reveals that his love of cinema didn't really like pan out for him. How much responsibility should directors bear for the subjects of the film and leave behind? And then link the thing and mentions that Kiarostami when he saw this was uh, troubled by it, which I was like, man, did you pay attention to your own movie? Um, it's an interesting question in the, while I believe the answer should be lots, like they should care about the people who leave behind. Um, there's no way to do it. Like the more you do it, the more you fail at it. Yeah, like, I mean, this is this is the the like, you know, this is like um, like what do I want like um, ecologists or whatever. Like, if, like in the wild, if you're exam if you're examining environments, your interactions with them automatically change the systems that you're examining. There's no way around that. And the longer you stay there, and the more effects you have, the more that you are changing things. And you don't know that you don't know what the outcomes are. Good intentions or not um you, you can't control that it's out of your your hands the system is complicated um and that's true with documentary figures also the act of making a documentary about someone and putting that in the world inherently changes their life and even if you did that with the best intentions even if you look the you were messing with them as long as you exist in their sphere as long as that film exists in the culture um and i think that's unavoidable which doesn't make it like doesn't make it like a thing you sh- that shouldn't be done to me. It's just like that's the nature of the documentary. Yeah. One of the top reviews of Longshot, uh, I guess the top review on Letterboxd, is from another director who is like, and this film taught me that I should make sure that like royalties go to my subjects, um, which I think is an, uh, is a interesting lesson, and in that I don't disagree with that. I think that's like a totally fine and um, like noble goal, but it just revealed the like limit. Like documentaries often are about shining light on 
if not injustice, at least like some form of material uh, failing in the world. Not always, but those are often the kind of documentaries that get made because you're going to be making things about interesting subjects. And yeah. interesting subjects will in interact with the world in such ways. Um, and the the more you do that, the more questions it raises of like, okay, well, who gets what royalties? Like, who is left behind? There's no, you can't fix the problems that you're trying to fix with the documentary with the money you make from the documentary. There's too much for one director. And while I believe every director should like try to do better, and it it, it just like this line of like argument goes to such an individualist thing of like where did it stop being your fault right yeah. uh, trying to blame one person for a specific like more structural thing um mm -hmm. and while i would like to say that like I, directors should be cognizant of this and aware of this and uh as best they can on some level you can't wholly like make up for the violence of the, that is just making a movie right yeah, you can't you, know the if, if you it. want the, if you want to be free of that entirely you shouldn't be making movies yes right you, on some level you have to accept that if you're making a documentary uh it will change the subject lives could potentially change everyone's lives in like radical ways that you could never see uh and that's just the violence of movie making you don't know what happens to a film when it's put out into the world and there's stuff that like they teach in like journalism school also right, right? yes this, the, but i assume filmmakers are not getting the same ethics <laughs> questions levied at them no um yeah i there's there's no like also yeah individual directors no matter how successful they are cannot solve all of the problems of their subjects um unless that, you want to like fucking you know throw it all away uh like the um what's the name the decline of human civil, uh, western civilization part three yeah but even, oh, that didn't, yeah. even that didn't save every person that she knew right no, like it's impossible if you wanted to if you wanted to win the competition of who could be the most ethical documentarian <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, adopting and having uh, the kids in your documentary live with you is a big one. Yeah. 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 But um, it still doesn't change the nature of the thing, which is fine. No. Um, Brendan writes in, what director of a true crime or based on real events movies slash series would you like to see engage with the actual perpetrator antagonist of the story or event? Not counting documentaries, since they usually talk to the people. I mean, specifically like in Close Up or the way Bart Layton approached material on American Animals. I don't know what that is. Uh, yeah, I don't know what this is either. I don't really, I, I didn't really know. I was like, I mean, I don't, I don't want David Fincher to talk to the Zodiac Killer. I assume it means that kind of... <laughs> That kind of thing. But I was like, well, what yeah, are the, the other? The first thing I thought of was like, oh, what if Catch Me If You Can had Frank Abernathy? But I'm like, wait, that Steven Spielberg doesn't make documentaries. I mean, there's a boring movie in the world. <laughs> right. Um, I, I, I think the Wolf of Wall Street guy is briefly in Wolf of Wall Street in like a slightly mean way. Yeah. Um, I mean, Scorsese, I, is, Scorsese is, as said, Kiarostami is a huge influence on him. Scorsese is a guy who could do this. <laughs> yes. That makes sense to me. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. But I'm trying. I, I can't think of like a time I've watched a movie like inspired by something and thought this could have used more of the real people involved. Usually, I think it could involve less. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> As like the, you see a version of this discourse happening right around like, like was May December an unethical movie? I'm like it. It wasn't even it. The change of oh, the names. It was just. <laughs> I did want to mention the this movie's like presupposed friction between movies are good but also movies are inherently predatory is like half of what May December is about please watch May December if you haven't it's very fucking good like yeah. May December is a movie about like Hollywood inherently is a is a vulture it's like yes. what's good about it it's, it's what you go to the movies for is yeah, to eavesdrop on other people's lives and drama <laughs> but it does make movie making inherently predatory uh, 
I, I, ha- I have enjoyed that as like signaled a wave of discourse about whether May December was like bad for doing that. Like, I, I mean, it's complicated. I haven't seen. It. I don't know how like it pulls it off. I assume you, you think it's pulled it off, like navigates that fairly well. Yeah, um, it's Todd Haynes. Of course, it pulled it off well. <laughs> but like the idea that it's bad for asking those questions is <laughs> is, is very funny to me. I can't believe fucking why discourse about this character believes something evil. The author must condone it. Has come to film already. Well, it, it's it's like the the um guy from who was like in the relationship that inspired the movie uh, like they, they should have involved him more and stuff like that that, that kind of discourse but like it would have been violent in the other way to involve him more right that would that's what the movie's about yeah. i assume um, yeah it's like also with that oh go ahead well just it's just doing the same royalties discussion of like you can't fix the there is no like distribution of income that will fix the violent inherent violence of movie making when it's dealing with real topics in a real world that has is arranged in the way it is yeah also, the idea that like getting the real people involved lends it an authenticity that elevates a film is like all through May December. Like, is that is that a true thing? Are you getting a real story by talking to the people involved? They lie all the time. Everyone narrativizes their own lives. <laughs> They're like the last people you should believe about what is true. <laughs> was that film we watched recently that like had a, all the real people involved that was way worse because of it? I forget. Was it? Did we watch it? Was it just something that came up in the Discord? I'm I have no idea what you're talking about. Never yeah, mind. No idea. Ignore me then. You would have to let me know <laughs> what, what you're telling you. Have to, I need more details on this. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I genuinely don't know. Um, I, no, you know what? This might have been me talking. This might have been me talking to Camille about the fucking get back edits in Discord. Okay. So never mind me. Okay. Um, Ashling writes in. Uh, not long ago, I, re- I watched Kelly Rickard's uh, Certain Woman and Ryusuke Hamaguchi's Wheel of Fortune Fantasy. Both are anthologies. Uh, separate shorts, not linked by plot, but some combination of theme. Uh, turns Coincidentally, Criterion Channel Parentheses is a double feature. Turns out I really enjoyed this format, and I was wondering, do you like anthology films? Do you have any recommendations? And what director who hasn't produced a feature-length anthology movie should? Um, I generally don't like anthology films. Uh, I had because... a hard time thinking of anthology movies. I'll be honest here that like, especially ones with a single director. Cause I can think of like, hor- like, you know, we watch creep show. There's like the VHS movies, which are very up and down. I think of horror anthologies a lot. Um, but like anthology films, I'm like, there aren't, I haven't seen that many. And there aren't like, if you look at lists, there aren't that many in the world. The first one that came to mind for me was the French dispatch. So I feel like my, like a director, I really like already made one. So, mm. um, <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, is Pulp Fiction an anthology film? Like, kinda? I guess, I, ki- right. Kinda. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like generally speaking, I would say no, but I'm also like, when I think of anthology film, I think of like a series of short films connected by an idea, often by different directors that is like very up and down. And I'm yes. just like, I'd rather have the good ones. Please, thank you. I'd rather have one good movie. Yeah. Um, on Wikipedia is listed The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is pretty good. It's like not one of the best Cohen films. It's but uneven. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's all right. Um, but yeah, I just couldn't think of any that like. I, most of the movies I like are not like this. Um, and most of the ones I could think of are very, um, are like, just like, you know, creep show style. Horror loves this where you just get like a bunch of 20 minute movies. Yeah. Southbound. And we kept bringing yeah. up creep show. Yeah. Tales from the hood, you know, yeah, Tales from the, hood. the animatrix. <laughs> yeah. And again, while I love the animatrix there, are, it's up and down, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Heavy metal. Um, 
classical. Oh, Dusty had mentioned Sin City while we were talking this over breakfast. Which yeah, is I was like, does Sin maybe City like count? A, because it's, here's the thing is, Sin City is extremely one of these, but it's only because it's adapting three volumes of a comic that aren't, like, they aren't, they're only, they only take place in the same town. They aren't connected in any way, narratively. And that's why the movie's that way. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, Rick writes in, watching Close Up was a reminder of how underseen I am in parts of world cinema compared to others. My question is, which area of the world do you most want to see more movies from? This one I, was impossible for me to answer. I don't know. I'm like, a, I, I mean, can't the, the one that I have the biggest gap on is definitely like from Africa broadly. Yes, yeah, same. Yeah. Same. That's, that's, what, true that's my answer. Yeah I've, yeah, I've barely seen any films from that continent. Um, but I just mean like, I know where I have seen movies and that's like America, occasionally some in Europe and France uh, and then like, a, you know, Japan and a little bit of China, right? Like the, the, the big obvious points where the, you know, Western people go to watch movies, right? Yes. <laughs> they have many um, surprises there. Uh, so I thought answering this was like, I don't know even know enough to answer this, right? I need, it needs to be something I haven't thought of yet. I need to just be a little bit more exploratory. Maybe I'll, I'll try to do that in future after screenings picks. Not in the next one because it's episode 100 and I've got like, some ideas. Um, but maybe we'll see. Yeah. Um, and partially it's because like often it's just a bit like I watch when I, when I want to watch something, I typically go to the streaming services I have. And, you know, the ones I've curated tend to have a good selection, but it is Europe, you know uh japan korea some china um maybe there's a couple south american films and the u.s yeah. obviously that's it <laughs> that's what you get that's i mean especially now like the state of illegal movie distribution has changed significantly over the last year um and it's harder to find movies harder to find more obscure movies that's just a true fact about the world yeah um so unless like it is not impossible right but it's definitely getting a little harder uh as this is one of the things that no one mentions. Like most, like the vast majority of piracy is people stealing the like movie that just came out. So I understand like why uh, they want to stop it. Uh, but it is it was also the way that it was the easiest to find movies from places you you are not at. Yeah, uh, that was just true. Yeah. And you can go to like rare film, right? Uh, but yes. that's 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 got obscurities, but they still mostly self-select to the countries that are already producing a lot of cinema that have people who are obsessed with that country's output that are oh, into get, the obscurities that exist. You can get so many Japanese films that about six people have seen. You can get yes. so many. You can yeah. you can never die watching Japanese films that no one has seen. Yeah. Um and then finally Tron writes in, um, with a question that I thought was interesting. Who's the best impersonator you've ever seen? <laughs> um, do cover bands count? Yes, I will accept any answers. I saw a really good local Radiohead cover band like a couple of months ago. They were amazing. <laughs> uh, fair enough. That counts. <laughs> I'll take it. I didn't have a good they answer. They were called the Karma was... Police. Okay. <laughs> uh, Chris Remo doing the end David Lynch voice. Oh, I love Chris Remo's David Lynch voice. He's better than everybody else. Everyone has the same voice, but Chris Remo's is special. It's it's <laughs> warm to me because I heard him for like five years before I ever heard David Lynch. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. like, when anyone else would talk about David Lynch, I would just hear Chris Remo's voice in my head. Yeah, that's fair. Um, almost, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Jackson's tweet about uh, Small Live. The oh, the, 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 the Austin olives are small in life. Austin's olives are small in life. A phrase that Austin has never actually said with his voice, but will in the future. And yet, you hear it perfectly every time. Yeah, absolutely. 
yeah, it's pretty good. Um, there was a question about Iran's judicial system. It, it, it we don't know. Strike. We simply yeah, don't know. I don't know. know, enough, don't know. I, yeah. I do think it's, I do uh, think that's just as someone who's American who lives literally recently, my YouTube recommendations decided I really wanted to watch trial videos. I promise you, I didn't want to watch trial videos, um, but I clicked on a couple and then I had to d d do not recommend anymore because uh, it's awful. It's people rubbernecking on court drama and people. Oh, that having side of YouTube so yes. bad right now. Yeah. Um, and um, because they apparently they just filmed everything for COVID and all those are public records. So people can just get the files. Right. It's bad out there. Um, anyway. And they're all cops. The people who love these things are all cops at heart in their in their soul. All the um, thumbnails are like child murderer cries because they were sentenced to fucking death or something. Yeah. They're, they're just like the most ghoulish videos you've seen in your life. Like, man, YouTube's Oh, mine was, a little, mine was thankfully not as ghoulish as that, but it was like sovereign citizen owned by judge, which uh, obviously <laughs> I clicked that because fuck sovereign citizen people. But then it just like fed me garbage for like days. And I was like, oh no, I should have. You that. didn't realize that it was the like owned by judge part that was the operative yeah. <laughs> Um Anyway, um, I, we live in a society where our judicial system wants to put people in prison because it makes companies money not even not even before getting to the part where those people in prison are then forced to do labor like modern slavery exists in america and it's being in fucking prison uh just for-profit prisons exist by pay being subcontracted by the government they want the prisons to be full because they get money per body um and it's nice to see a judge where the judge seemed to want to hear a case and then resolve it with as little intervention as possible. Uh, it sounds great. It sounds like a world could be different. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, one of the things I was thinking about in this movie is like, obviously not a central function. It's just the, the court is the backdrop for the story. But it did make me think of like, the, this is the purpose of a court theoretically, right? Yes. It's to yes. be like... Um, the state, the like some form of authority and violence, which is not enforced, right? But like some inarguable arbitrator that can navigate conflict in yeah, a the way. The community adjudicator, right? You right, have a yes. problem, you two can't figure it out, you go to the judge and the judge gives you an answer. <laughs> Right. And it's like, maybe it's like prison for a couple of weeks. Uh, maybe it's like, oh, you're forgiven and you like, you know, uh, let, let go and, and uh, can navigate it out between yourselves. Um, I don't know. And I, I know nothing about the Iranian judicial system. I assume yeah. this is like one strain of the courts for these kind of like petty disputes. But I have no idea. I've genuinely no idea. So I can't like say anything broadly about what it says about like the real world. But I can say about like, watching this. I was like, oh, right. This is like why courts exist. This doesn't happen in our fucking country. <laughs> because <laughs> it's just it's either like civil courts where you're suing people over bullshit that doesn't matter uh or it's um just like trials that exist to like get uh, as many people in jail for drug offenses as possible right that's like this kind of like community arbitration is so foreign to the purpose of like courts in western society at this point that it was like damn <laughs> damn different world mm -hmm. uh yeah that's it if you have questions abnormal mapping podcast at gmail.com we love them about any sort of film stuff if we don't know we'll just admit we don't know it's fine yeah ask Shoot us about shot. movies sometimes you just jog our brains and i go i should watch something xy because you mentioned it that it's definitely true. has happened before that has happened before um with my next pick in fact this has happened because someone in the discord uh said that i specifically needed to watch this movie um we next time are watching ikari xb1 uh, which is a 1963 Czech film. Um, it was described as uh, it's it's 60s European Star Trek to me. So I was like, well, I got to watch it. 
Oh, yeah, let's go. To me, to I'm me, to me. I'm so yeah. excited. Uh, it is, uh, the, it, it was apparently released in English with the dub, with a dub called, called Voyage to the End of the Universe, but the original version is on Criterion. That's the version we'll be watching. It's directed by Yendrik Pollock. It's based on a Stanislav Lem novel. So, ready to go. Might have the stuff then. Yeah, I hope. I'm just excited to watch a just a nice sci-fi film is all, you know? Yeah. Um, it has a beautiful uh, original theatrical poster um, that I'm going to post here. Just like one of those sci-fi classics. Oh, man. Sci-fi <laughs> from yes. the 50s and all 60s. Yeah. It's beautiful. Um, anyway, that's going to be it. Uh, like I said, oh, that's on Criterion. Obviously, if you're in America or you know someone who can share the Criterion password, uh, that is very easy to get into for anyone else. I don't know where it is available elsewhere. Did you check, Jackson? Um, no, I did. I I I have found it on the internet, so okay. you can get okay. it. Okay, that's all. That's uh, uh, yeah. I just want. I wasn't sure since it was like on Criterion. I was like, how available is this? I asked you, could you find this? Um, I can find it. It's also on DVD. It's hard. Okay. It's hard to find. It's not. It's not an easy find, but it okay. is out there. Okay. Um, I would. I might. I'll probably end up <laughs> using your Criterion rather than using one of the ways you could theoretically get it. Okay. Um, it's on Blu-ray in the UK. Damn, it's very expensive because it was the print run was in 2019 but it did get a, oh, yeah. it did get a blu-ray run in the uk so the company's second run so just asking for being very expensive <laughs> yes um anyway uh where can people find you online destiny at fridge buzz now most places and my other podcast battling girls we've got some stuff brewing for 2024 so keep did an you eye record out. that episode last week yes okay nice. oh my god it's real yeah. <laughs> we recorded an episode. I know episode. you went out to record an episode, but that didn't mean an episode got recorded. <laughs> an episode got recorded. Friend of the show, Tracy Mock, is our special guest star for our return. Oh, the gang is here. Uh, Jackson. Uh, you can find me at Headfalls Off on Twitter.com, unfortunately. Um, really, mostly just there. I have an account on Blue Sky and co host, but I haven't used them in months. Sucks on the internet. What can you do? Uh, you can find the podcast we do at abnormalmapping.com. Go listen to them. They're very good. Uh, we've got... Uh, when was... Uh, we got the Everything or Nothing episode, which yeah, is... Yeah, that came I, out I, a couple weeks ago. I guess about James Bond games. We don't, we don't really talk about the idea of James Bond in that very much. It's about PS2 games. Uh, but Everything or Nothing is a, a James Bond game that is like a bad James Bond movie. So if you're yeah. interested in movie discussions, I guess there's a link. Yeah. Um... You can find me on Twitter at em underscore being. If you'd like to support our work, you can do that at patreon.com slash normal mapping for $1 a month. You get the great Gundam project. We're currently watching Gundam double O and Rose of Versailles. Uh, for $5, you get blockbusters. We're actually going to be recording that next week. So it'll probably be up uh, the Monday after a week after this goes live uh, about big. So look forward to that. Um, and we have plenty of episodes for other movies besides um, check out our one of the fugitive from last month. It was really good. I thought that was a really good episode. Yeah. Uh, for $10 a month, you get VoIP Life, where we talk about a bunch of bullshit. There are many movie episodes in there. Uh, right now, we're just desperately trying not to talk about uh, Final Fantasy <laughs> and failing. But we do talk about some bad British television, which people seem to like. Uh, so, you know, there's stuff. Um, I'm going to uh, mutiny against your rules in the Discord. Uh, too bad. I'll just delete your posts. <laughs> Every uh, time we talk too much about British shit, you're like, stop it now. Leave well, the channel. Well, you do just start exchanging music, YouTube links <laughs> that nobody fucking cares about. We're having fun. We're yeah. having a good time. you can time. have fun in a different channel. It's my Discord too. 
<laughs> um, I would kick myself out if I was doing that. Um, <laughs> like the end of him bruised over here. <laughs> you got to stick to your principles. Uh, I have another podcast called Dragon Readers on the Export Audio Network. If you just go to exportaud.io, it's on their main feed where me and my friend Nora are reading through the Inheritance cycle which is the the aragon books i calling it the inherent cycle always sounds like i'm getting away with something the aragon books um which we're having that, a good time that's with. what they're called that's not a weird or embarrassing I hate to call it. them it's the aragon books the inheritance cycle <laughs> game of thrones books i know you know it has like a fucking song of fire game of thrones i'm reading game of thrones song of ice song of fire. fire song of ice and fire that's again these are normal I things i hate it I yeah hate that's it. what they are that's what it's called the I hate when a fantasy book has a name. That's what yeah. you sound like right now. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I do. You're right. Correct. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you like the show, retweet it, whatever. Write in. Come to the Discord. Talk about it. Anything you want. Until next time, movies. Now more than ever. Don't expect to like them. <laughs> <laughs>